have mercy, look at and how welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Today I have a very exciting guest. His name is Aaron Siva, and he's running a business. It's a manufacturing logistics manu excuse me manufacturing and logistics consulting company, uh, and that company is called W Smythe Bates. Good morning, Aaron. How you doing, man? Good morning, John. I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I, I, I got off to a rocky start. It's uh, these allergies, man. It's allergy season is kicking my butt. But uh, here yeah. I am. <laughs> here I am taking the challenge. <laughs> yeah, finally, the seasons have changed in Norway. You know, just like two weeks ago, we had some snow. And yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's brisk and, and clean weather. So I'm, I'm all for it up here. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm not one who complains about the weather, but I just, just throwing in that little uh, fact that these allergies are starting to kick my butt. <laughs> uh, you know, we were talking a little bit on the telephone yesterday, and, and that was a very interesting conversation. That is actually the conversation that should have been the podcast episode. So let's see if we can recreate uh, that little fountain of knowledge that uh, was coming from you. You have a rather... Uh, interesting experience uh, as an American in Norway. How long have you been here in Norway? Uh, I've been here just a little over uh, 18 months. I uh, came here uh, September of 2018, so just about like around a year and a half. And within that year and a half, you have been a busy guy. You know, we, yeah. we, we, yesterday we were talking about uh, everything from from Norway's immigration policy, you know, a, a rather selective immigration policy, according to what we were talking about. We were talking about inter international immigration, uh, business opportunities in Norway, unions, jobs, uh, some political science issues. Man, wh where do we start today? <laughs> I guess I could kind of shed light on the immigration aspect of Norway. It's very, very difficult. It's one of the uh, most difficult, if not uh, in the world, uh, I, I, be, I sincerely believe that uh, Norway, Sweden, uh, Denmark are very uh, selective in their uh, skilled work, worker workers visas as well as uh, just general work permits. And initially, I came here uh, on a one-year, uh, what was supposed to be a one-year skilled worker or workers permit, but there were some issues with the company that I was working with. Um, on the end of, on the end when I was coming from America to here, uh, I was working as a manufacturing engineer and a lead uh, quality control systems engineer. But that kind of all backfired when I came here, and the regulations and everything have changed uh, with the change in the government. And with that being said, I kind of, uh, I'm still working, but I'm on a, what do you call? It? I'm still in that gray area between. Uh, student and worker, so I I'm see. actually here on a student a student visa, and it's been my situation has been completely different than most other students uh, because I'm taking some graduate level courses uh, here in Trondheim uh, at NTNU, but uh, with you know with the overall there's so many like you said there's so many uh, stipulations if you're not from uh, the EU. 
and that's the key word. Yeah, because uh, the, the Euro- yeah the Europe- European Union they have uh, a, a lot of uh, agreements that are put into place where where travel uh, is is pretty free between those countries. It's pretty open and, and very few restrictions. Education uh, and, yeah. and, and things like that. You know, if if uh, you decide to pick up and move from from Switzerland to to, to Denmark, you can pretty much just do that yeah. <laughs> as long as you're able to support yourself. And even then, if you. Uh, Absolutely, obviously pre-corona, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the issue now is Norway not being in the EU, but being part of the uh, EOS and uh, EEA. You know, they are still truly one of the last remaining countries that offer totally free education. You know, but the sitting government right now they want to change that. They want to start introducing um, what do you call. Uh, what is that? Tuition. Tuition, yeah. Yeah, tuition. Well, yeah. You know, like in the in the realm of uh, they're following Denmark and, and Sweden and Finland that changed their rules and regulations in 2016, I believe. And now students from outside the EU have to pay uh, almost eight to 10,000 euros per year in addition to living expenses. And I don't know why Norway, that has plenty of money in the, you know, in various funds and whatnot in the reserves. Yeah, what, what but do you think... Do? But do you think they're going to do that? I mean, I know there's talk about it, but do you think it will actually happen that the uh, education all of a sudden is going to cost so much more than it does in Norway? Because one of the things that, you know, you hear Americans, <clears throat> especially some right wing, some Republican Americans uh, screaming out about the ills of socialism or, or what they define as socialism. Um Personally, I look at Norway as a democratic country that is leaning towards some socialistic tendencies. And I don't see the problem in that personally. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I don't think, I don't think Norway, you know, and, and as socialist people will label, people in the States will label the Scandinavian countries or Norway specifically as a socialist country as if that is something bad. But actually, the ruling political party here is quite far to the right, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and and speaking upon that, I was going to say, uh, with your first point, uh, I'm a member of uh, the International Students Union here in Norway. Um, I'm actually uh, hoping to run for... Uh, vice president or the union development officer and to think keep things in perspective the sitting government has tried twice and with the help of our union as well as the student parliament national student organization of norway uh-huh. with support from uh sv uh venstre you know and of course arbeiter you know the workers those are two party. yeah those are two left three left-wing yeah. parties for yeah. those who don't know uh, the, the basics of norwegian politics yeah, uh, they, especially the AP, the Arbeiter Party, they, they've been shutting it down at Parliament uh, because uh, there was they were actually very close, I believe, a couple years ago of implementing this in 2017, I think. I'm sorry, impl- implementing down. implementing what now? Tell impl- me again. Impl- implementing tuition. Like okay, had, okay, yeah. Originally. yeah. So yeah. We, it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing fight. Right. And um, every single time they're trying to... Uh, you know, slide this by, but, you know, we keep our guard up, we keep our ears and eyes open, and we see the science. And uh, like you said, going forward, when you have a country that's not under the strict thresholds of Brussels, you know, being in the EU, like Denmark and Sweden and Finland. Because a lot of people don't understand that Norway is actually not in the 
European Union. Norway is on the outside and has a whole string of agreements with the EU, but we're not in it. Yeah, yeah and that's only for goods and trades because right. you know, Norway doesn't produce anything. And that's one of the pitfalls of Norway is they don't really uh, produce anything or they're not able to agriculturally or even you know, right. mechanically yeah. In, yeah. My, in my field. So they're starting to try to do that now because of Corona. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see because they have the lowest of the populations in the four, uh, other than I- Iceland, obviously, which they don't. I mean, they count, but, you know, it's Iceland, but uh, Norway being at 5.4, you know, Denmark is, uh, has a quarter of a million more, I believe, and uh, yeah. same with fin- Finland, and obviously Sweden is double almost. So, um, yeah, it's just the thing with the oil and then the, the, you know, the consolidations and whatnot, and what the sitting government has done uh, is absolutely appalling in terms of consolidating resources, communas, universities. I mean, the list just goes on. And I don't understand why. If you ask a lot of Norwegians, they talk bad about the U.S. capitalistic uh, problems and this and that. But they're exactly, I think they're following the footsteps. And I think that's just purely hypocritical. They need to make sure they keep their own house clean. And and I think things are great when it comes to those things now. But yeah, just the fact that they're talking about changing a system that works so well here is is it's for me it's mind-boggling yeah and it works so well because uh and it works so well because you have an educated low populace that's high iq high value high you know output right and obviously you're going to have those you know these problems with the lower labor menial labor and where are they going to get them but right you know they they're attracting a lot from the eastern bloc you know the lithuanians yeah. the poland and estonians uh-huh. and latvians who are and i and i agree with that you know because you know they're in the eu and they deserve to they're willing to do the dirty work and all that but there's other issues within that system that i think are becoming more and more of a problem uh, when you talk about integration, you talk about language, when you talk about going for, further, there's a lot of people in in uh, defense of the Norwegian mindset. There's a lot of people that just use Norway kind of like a one-night stand. You know, they're using it for the money and the good sure. economic benefits, but they have no inclination of integrating. Right. And, yeah, not you know, everyone. Yeah, not everyone who comes here has good intentions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and that's and that's where you know when you have a people. Like the Norwegian people, you, you know this very well. You've been here a very long time and you have a Norwegian wife and whatnot. You know, you have a people that are reserved, that have been through hell literally for centuries, uh, not the best climates. And for me, yeah. what attracted me here, not just being the outdoors and, you know, loving the outdoors and whatnot, uh, is that I, I truly believe that there's something about a country. There's only very few examples in the world. John, you know this, I think. Uh-huh. Singapore being one, Japan after World War II, after Hiroshima, uh, Malaysia, and Norway in Europe. I mean, 50 years ago, this country was the poorest or one of the poorest in Western yeah. Europe. Yeah. And now it's, it's, it's incredible. And it just gives you a little bit of hope about governments and humanity and you know, like well, when, you, when you see these things, you know, it's kind of like, why can other countries that have way more right. people, resources, uh, you know, uh, skills, et cetera, can't do this? Yeah, just imagine if, you know, the, the, the turnaround that Norway did in a very short time from being dirt poor in the first years, the first decade and a half of, uh, you know, after World War II, going from that, flipping it 
totally on its head in becoming one of the wealthiest, many people will rank it up there as the wealthiest nation per capita in the world. And just think if that same turnaround could be put on some of the Central American countries, uh, some of the African countries, just imagine what kind of place this world would be imagine what kind of economy the world would have so this the the some of the people who are screaming out about socialism is such a big uh um you know evil disgusting thing i question their the depth of their thought i question the depth of their analysis a lot of people point at places like venezuela but venezuela is not a shining example of of uh of socialism yeah, and, and Norway is kind of in that realm, and a lot of people I've talked to, uh, I've had, you know, just conversations and discourses with, they're actually worried because, you know, they think Norway's a one-trick pony, kind of like Venezuela with the oil and whatnot, so now they're trying to embark in, like, thorium and other types of energy, and they're trying to figure out, other than the locks, you know, the salmon and fishing, commercial yeah. fishing and, and oil industries, what else can they bring to the table, and... I think it was a smart move that they didn't join the EU because they have oil and they voted that down twice, I yeah. think, uh, you know, in the 90s or in the 70s even. But um, I think, you know, I hope they forward, keep voting it down. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I don't want to live in I don't want to live in Europe. I want to live in Norway. Yeah, big, exactly, big difference. Exactly. Big yeah. difference. And I think, you know, uh, when it comes to, like you said, uh, the, the, the ideology and they put a lot of thought and effort. Uh, when their constitution, you know, because Norway's been under Swedish rule, they've been under Danish rule, and now they've got their own kind of, they're still trying to figure out their identity. And it's it's a big challenge here because uh, where I live in this in this central part of Norway, there's a lot of nationalism, there's a lot of, which is a rise all over the world. It's real sad. There's a big rise of nationalism all around the world, but Norway doesn't seem to remember its... Its roots, you know, when they found the oil here, it was an actual, it was actually an Iraqi uh, immigrant, an engineer who. That's right, of, uh, yeah. Kind of set up how uh, they should use the the resources, the gold, the black gold, so to speak, that they found. And, right, uh, right. You know, it's, 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 it goes both ways, man. And, and I just wish people could, could open their, themselves and their minds. Um, and that's kind of. I think people can agree it's kind of one of the things that kind of hinders progress here is because you're not having an open mind, not willing to, you know, engage in uh, other perspectives because of your cruel past, you know, and uh-huh. you, you guys remember, I can see the pain, especially in the Tundalag region of a lot of the elderly folk that I see here that are, you know, 60 plus. Yeah. I can see like they've been through, they were there, they, they've been through the, 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 the long, the hard times. Yeah. yeah. Well, one yeah. thing that I, I've never understood here is, uh, you know, as, as you, as you mentioned briefly, there is, um, there are pockets of that, so-called neo-Nazi movement, that 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 uh, ultra-racist um, movement. There's different groups, not a lot, but there's pockets of that here in Norway, and that they would associate themselves with any Nazi type of ideolo- ideology. I don't understand that because Norway got jacked up by the Germans during World War II. Um, to put it bluntly, of, yeah. Speaking of jacked up, the city that I'm currently based out of, Steinshare, is. Uh, the poster child the entire town was completely bombed by um you know you know who and uh, yeah. 
yeah, the only thing remaining here was the the train station. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it served as a, uh, a hub uh, because before the the Kabunas joined together, you know, this station was the capital of uh, what used to be Nord or North Trundelag. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, I got. Uh, a little bit of a history um, from the, from a friend of mine who's been here, yeah. but uh, this entire town was completely bombarded yeah. and blasted to bits, and it's just uh, it doesn't make any sense. Like you said. I don't yeah. understand the the perception and the, it's the bizarre. rational reasoning. It's, it's yeah. very bizarre. Uh, you know, that's we're talking about a generation and a half ago uh, where those people, you know, and a lot of those people are still walking the earth today with very clear memories of what they went through. And these people, you know, I, I picture, you know, a 20 something, uh, Nazi guy, uh, up in mid Norway. What about his grandparents, you know, who were alive during world war two and, 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 uh, experienced all that suffering and all that dis- destruction from the Nazis. My father-in-law was from uh, Finnmark. <clears throat> He's a uh, Laplander, as we call him in uh, yeah. the States, Samisk, Samisk, as they yeah. call them here in Norway. Yeah. And he Ulfolk, was... Ra- Ulfolk, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he was uh, he was around nine, ten years old during, uh, during the height of World War II. And he tells about how, you know, the Germans came and occupied their house. They had to make food for them. They had to, to, to you know, sew their uniforms when their uniforms were ripped up. And when they evacuated, uh, they were living in caves in the middle of winter. Oh wow! So so it's really a shame, yeah. You know, and, you know I, speaking speaking about that, John. Uh, here in Tundalak, it was um, there. There's been instances. Uh, there's two things I want to talk about because it's interesting that you bring up uh, the Samisk folk, the, the, the Sami people. Yeah. But um, there have been instances. You know, they've been obviously during the German occupation. There was a lot of soldiers that uh, did what they did with the, the local women here. Yeah. They've had you know, barn, whatever, offspring. And mm-hmm. and then those kids have been, you know, bullied and mob mobbing, you know, and it's just, it's really sad to see, you know, how this kind of transfers now. And I don't understand how people can still, you know, not forget that uh, period and still embrace it. That's what keeps things going, right? That's why oh. this word is never yeah. going to be non-existent. And the guy who died, you know, 50 years ago, and you know, 200 years from now, we're still going to be talking about Nazism or, yeah. you know, this this ideology, this belief yeah. system. But even what I was going to say is Norway is so complicated because uh, I had a good friend of mine here. Um, he also is... Uh, Samisk, but he, you know, moved from uh, the north down there. His family obviously settled in Trundelag years ago when he was very young, like five or six. And um, I think uh, just like your father-in-law, he was, you know, from Finnmark and he, you know, came down here uh, and he also got bullied, you know, because he spoke uh, Nur Samisk. Yeah, um, yeah. And he, you know, here there's a little community of people that speak Sur Samisk. And yeah. a lot of people that's two different totally, languages totally within different. Uh, two different, yeah. just for people that don't know, that's two different languages within the Sami people uh, of, mm-hmm. of, of of Norway. Yeah. And the Sami people are similar, uh, akin to like the Native Americans in America. Right, you know, right. Aboriginal, they're the, the indigenous people of uh, uh, Norway, Sweden, and North Finland, uh, and parts of Russia. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really interesting how people are so, I don't want to say like tribal, but like, you know, here it's like so close knit and even within the country, I mean, he's not no different. He's Norwegian. He's no different than 
anybody from here or anybody from, you know, yeah. your neck of the woods down uh -huh. there. And they still, there's this problem of acceptance. And, right, right. You know, there's this big gap and, and it's just really interesting. Well, there's a lot of skepticism uh, between the different regions of Norway. You know, you, you, you're from northern Norway. You might uh, be uh, of the Sami people and you come among these people down south where I live and you they look at you with a certain amount of skepticism. They look at you... And not, and, and not everybody is like that. I'm not trying to say everyone, but very often they're looking yeah. at these northerners almost as if there's some sort of a zoo exhibit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then on top of that, so that's within the Norwegian people with white, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we talk this way, but I'm talking about now, you're talking about foreigners, like, and especially foreigners of color. You know, I had a little bit of a hard time. Uh, for the most part, my experience has been good, but I've dealt with a few. What uh, is your racial background? Uh, basically I'm, um, South Indian. Uh, -huh. and you're from, Louis I'm sorry, go ahead. What we call uh, Tamil, uh, Tamil people. Okay. Uh, yeah. in, India is a whole nother ball game and we're not all the same for people that don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a, that's a two hour long podcast right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're from uh, the deep South in India was where my, my mom comes from and, uh, you know, totally different ball game and, you know, and, and luckily for me, there is an established community of Tamils in, in uh, Norway because yes. a lot of them are from Sri Lanka and yeah. speak the same language. And uh, obviously, the, the deputy mayor of Oslo, she's uh, Tamil, and I had the opportunity to meet her yeah. uh, and her family. Uh, you know, just real. And that's that's one of the things that I just don't understand. Norway is such a poster child for acceptance and peace, and they help broker the ceasefire for the 35 plus year long civil war that we had in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, there was ethnic cleansing and genocide, which, yeah. you know, George Bush, uh, arrogantly and vehemently opposed and didn't really know because of course, what do you expect from George Bush? He's, <laughs> he's not, he's a, he's a, he's an arse. So it's it's not like time. he's studying up on the subject yeah, and he <laughs> or any subject, labeled. but you know, uh, you know, I got to give credit to Stoltenberg, you know, under his leadership, he, um, brokered a ceasefire in in, yeah. in Thailand in Bangkok and you know I, there's about I think there's about 15,000 uh, Tamils in, in Sri Lanka uh, here in Norway and very grateful obviously and, uh, yeah I had forgotten that Stoltenberg that Norway was instrumental in that ceasefire and that peace yeah. agreement but that yeah, yeah. that uh, 2013 I think uh, I believe so yeah and um, I so mean, there's still issues but yeah sure sure but you know it, but when I don't look that part you know physically and you know facial wise you know I, and i when i come here i get labeled i got labeled as you know potentially uh, a refugee or like arab or something yeah uh-huh and that's not what i'm about so you know it's still i get labeled I'm, as i get labeled as a pacific islander that, that, and that <laughs> just blows my mind <laughs> I, it's kind of cool actually but uh, <laughs> that's not what i am <laughs> yeah the issue here is that there's you know what that there's labeling to begin with but uh and it goes both ways because, you know, if they don't know what, whatever data they've got visually, you know, you got to make an effort. And that's why I made an effort to learn not only the language, but the local dialect, which is a language of its own. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, and then I've been working my tail off. You know, I've had uh, I've been working several uh, jobs as well as other gigs, you know, just to meet more people and now the whole town knows me and it's a whole different ball game now, so. now now your gig with the uh what what is the name of that union the international uh students union the international students union what kind of work yeah. are you doing there 
because you're actually you're actually trying to work your way up in the hierarchy there and become a leader in that organization. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, what's that all about? Know, so it's a it's a it's the the uh, go to union that represents all of the international students that are currently in and studying in Norway. Uh, we represent. Um, uh, we represent all the university. There's about 19 campuses that uh, have chapters of ISU. Now, there used to be 28, so now we're trying to, you know, increase the number of campuses that have this, uh, and we serve as a kind of a liaison between the students and the universities as well as the government. So, um, so you're basically just looking out for their rights, making sure that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, I, would, I would imagine you guys are getting involved uh, in the whole aspect of student housing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's a big issue because uh, there's a lot of places where they don't offer it. And it's very difficult, you know, to even open a bank account here and to do the whole rut. Uh, we also have to deal with, you know, um, I've been lucky because I got a foot sales number and I got the 11 digit equivalent to, you know, uh, our SSN back home. Uh, but now, you know, they, there've been problems with the UDI, you know, they, they can only give them a D number, a D number, you know, which is like a temporary kind of, uh, immigration number before things get really official and situated and it takes time and yeah. paperwork and, you know, and a lot of students, if they're here for exchange, it's one thing. Uh, and the only exchange students are coming from the EU, but the ones from not, uh, in the EU, the ones that are outside the EU, uh, they don't have time and see you know, that people, yeah, people, some people may not understand the importance of getting a Norwegian ID number when you, you know, whatever your immigration status may be, whether you're a resident alien, whether you're a student, whether you're here on a work visa, whatever, uh, if you are issued a Norwegian ID number, that is your key to getting into the social welfare system of Norway, meaning your, your, um, Meaning your uh, medical you access care, to the health, yeah, access exactly. to medical care, and things like yeah. that. And without that IED number, you're you're not without any rights at all. But you do yeah. not have the full rights of other people in this in, in the nation. So that's a big issue for a lot of students. I know some people who are caught in no man's land. Where, yeah, we've had several students exactly. Yeah, like where they course. are they they they're in student status. Uh, and they may also be allowed to work on a limited basis, but because they're kind of in that limbo between worker and student, they're not getting any benefits whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Scary. They, it's a scary thing. Yeah, yeah there have even been instances because they didn't get the letter from uh, health, you know, health and organ. The health system, yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, they don't have a permanent fast leg or what do you call permanent doctor. Uh, yeah. Uh, primary care physician yeah. uh, for yeah. uh, for two three months. So what happens if they get injured or or something between August and October? Yeah. Uh, who's going to cover that? I mean, yeah. it's been it's been very prob problematic and, and troublesome for so many of the students coming from uh, South Asia and Africa. So you guys, the International Student Union, helps make that transition process a little bit easier for these students. Helps them to to get their foot in the door when it comes to medical coverage and other social benefits. Uh, everything. Uh, any any questions that they have, you know, we do realize that it's it is a process. Um, we've helped them, you know, mitigate the 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 paperwork and you know even opening bank accounts and and apart from that, you know, socializing and getting acclimated with whatever city or whatever campus that they're in. 
um, you know, doing that. And then also taking the issues that are common and bringing them and presenting them politically um, at the at the parliamentary level is what we're also uh, really keen on now. Do you see yourself building um, building a political career here in Norway? Uh, You've met some people and you you're involved in some activities and whatnot. Do you can you see yourself going that route? Uh, if the people want me, hopefully I'm, I would I would not. Uh, turn it down. I mean, you know, I do have a genuine passion of helping and, and, and I'll give you an example, you know, uh, for me to learn this language, uh, in, in, in here in Stainshire, I had to spend, you know, uh, almost 30, 30,000 uh, Norwegian, which is like back then it was 3,500 crowns cause, uh, but now the kroner's uh, real bad. So it's like, you know, 3000 us, yeah. uh, because I didn't have any options and students don't have any rights for free Norwegian classes compared to like women that marry Norwegian citizens or obviously refugees and yeah. asylum seekers. And I've been really pushing for this and, you know, uh, we, we anticipate to take it to the parliamentary level because I've already talked to several politicians about this and a lot of the, a lot of the students, um, they, I think they like that, and they they supported my yeah. initiative of bringing this up. And you know, that's just one small thing. Yeah, and, because uh, let's let's paint a picture now. You're a brand new. Um, you've just arrived in Norway. Uh, you probably don't have that much money. Uh, you want to get into the society as good as you can, and a big part of that is learning the language. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, they tell you that you got to pay three or four thousand dollars to learn the language. Yeah. That, that, that to me that's jaw dropping now I don't know exactly how things have changed or when they changed but when I came here back in 2002 language classes were free you uh, got you, you got if you don't mind me asking did you come as a worker or did you come through uh, family let me tell you let me tell you how I came here my wife had moved uh, to the States. We got married in uh, Lillehammer here in Norway and yeah. went right away to the States. Now, before we got married, she had done all of the, she had done the process, which at that time, believe me, it was a lot easier than it is now. She had gone through the process to get her residency and, and uh, green card and whatnot. Uh, very easy process back then. We got married in Lillehammer, came back. We lived in uh, the Chicago suburbs for about two years. Which suburb? Hey, which suburb? It's a little place called South Holland. Oh, I know South Holland. Do you? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I lived in Chicago for a little bit. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah. yeah, and you no bullet holes, right? As debatable. And screw you, Chicago people, if you get mad for my little joke there. You guys I know the bullets in, uh, are flying. They know the bullets are flying over there. I, I lived in South Jeffrey in Hyde Park. Okay. Uh, not too far. Yeah. So yeah. I lived in the city. I lived in the South. Side, yeah, I was right on the edge, right on the South Suburbs there, <laughs> South Holland. Actually, yeah. South Holland was a very nice place to live, actually. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, uh, so she came here, it was, she came to, uh, to the States. We lived there for about two years before, um, before we decided to move to Norway. If you go back a couple of podcast episodes, I go through that whole story of mm -hmm. why we, why we moved to Norway and how that happened. But I tell you, here's how simple it was for me to come here, get permanent residency and get a worker's permit. We came to the police station, like maybe mm -hmm. three or four days after we came, uh, I w went 
to some office. I don't remember the, the uh, yeah, whatever the immigrant office at the poli- at the local police station. Uh, I stood there for maybe fifteen minutes while they took my picture. I signed a couple of documents. They asked me if I had a job or if I was planning on getting a job, and that was it. This was in two thousand two. That's how simple it was. Yeah, so the, the kicker here is the reason why you got a free Norwegian class, which still exists today, is because we're married to a Norwegian and you came here. Today. Is that still in place today? Yeah, that's still okay. in place. So if you're married what, to a Norwegian. Yeah, and then that's the only way. I, I joke with a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> the only the only way, the easiest way to come to Norway is to marry somebody here that is Norwegian. Um, uh-huh. And, and that's, that's not a good thing. I mean, well... And then, well, yeah, you know, and, and of course, as important as it, as it is to learn the language, I found, and I, and again, I don't know how the system is now, but uh, so I signed up for these Norwegian classes. I went there the first day, and I'm like, this isn't going to work. I was in a class with mostly Somalis. There was five or six of them, and they were illiterate in their own language. They couldn't read or write their own language, so there was no reference point to get them to learn Norwegian. So the teacher, the instructor, didn't try to teach them Norwegian. They were out playing soccer all day long. I sat in that so-called class for two days, and I said, this ain't working, and I walked out. So I've had two days of Norwegian classes, and on the second day, I had my wife come in with me, and we went on this computer program there in the classroom so I could learn the grammar, how yeah. the structure of the grammar, and that was it. That's all I needed. I took that knowledge that I was able to gain on two days, basically one day, and I went out and I started learning Norwegian on my own. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, here but, I got a little. But that's not. Here, I don't. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, like you said. Uh, here it was kind of similar. I was in a class with mostly refugees. And uh-huh. They didn't even they they only they only knew the Arabic la- alphabet, so they they never were exposed to um, Latin letters, Latin alphabet system. So, but the teachers that I had were really great. Shout out to all of them uh, here at Stainshire Volksnoblad. Uh-huh. Uh, really really grateful. And they just pushed me, and they knew what kind of predicament I was in, and they really worked. With, uh, so they really worked with you and, and gave you yeah, the support really you needed great. to learn the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, well, I'm that wasn't so... that wasn't happening back in the day where I was, and it, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a shame. You know, I turned out fine. I within three months, I was able to converse with with people. Um, mm. Shout out to myself <laughs> for my language, oh, yeah, yeah, for my for my language abilities. I'm very proud of that, uh, actually. Yeah. But but I'm thinking about all of the people who came before me and maybe are still coming there, and it's a substandard system. You know, mm-hmm. at the same time as there are people who are screaming out for more demands to be put on immigrants here for mm-hmm. a higher standard, so to speak, and something so basic as the and basic but very important as the language instruction seems to not be in place for the yeah. most part. So a little bit about me, uh, you know, in eight months uh, I, from starting the Norwegian to taking the, the B2 level exams uh, for the new Norwegian test, uh-huh. um, I, it's very difficult to pass the writing portion because, you know, you have to make sure the grammatic and all that. But right. shout out to my teachers, uh, not only here That's at Stanshire, but also in, in Verdal. Um, I took a lot of, I had a, like a stroke proxy, just a language uh, building yeah. up pre- period that I did in Verdal and uh, they really pushed me and they helped me. I had about six teachers that really, that's uh, great. And in eight months, you know, the, the national rate of passing for the, the written portion um, for B2 level is like under 5%. And I was able to do it uh, 
on the first try. And it takes people two, three tries to get to uh-huh. uh, B2 um, at the at that level. And, you know, I just wanted to, to take the highest level, you know, Bergen test or whatever, just for my self-esteem and my sure, piece sure. of paper. You know, I have this, hey, you can't really well, uh, mess with me. And, yeah, it gives you a sense of pride to be able to be able to master this language or master it, at least to be able to converse in this language and make yourself understood. I tell you, that's alpha and omega when it comes to success yeah. or failure in this country. And, you know, like you said, John, it's, it doesn't make sense because in Denmark and, and especially in Finland, it's really amazing what Finland has done. And they just value education way more. Yes. Uh, Norway is statistically the lowest of the four uh, Scandinavian countries yeah. in many fields, and they don't realize that. But yeah. um, Finland, for example, fin- I think Finnish is much more difficult language. Uh, Absolutely. No language, is really, yeah. no language is really difficult, but I just think with fin- Finsk, it just takes a little, it takes a lot more time to get acclimated with. It seems to be more foreign to an English sp- exactly. speaker. It's yeah. The, yeah, you know, and and even for even with Norwegians, but they, no questions barred. If you're there, even as a student or as a refugee or as a skilled worker, you you are immersed in um, language classes, and you know it's it's good because they they realize that they get it. That in order to thrive and finish society, you need to know Finnish. Yeah, yeah. And they put that procedures. You know, they put that system there for people. And I just don't understand why everything's already set in place here, even though, like you said, uh, I'm really glad that you pointed out your um, experience because maybe that may not be a, such a great idea to have it through uh, the adult learning because, you know, all the refugees that do come, they're, yeah. they're not at the same, it's not like a cookie cutter. Thing, yeah, know? I was just going to say they need to have different levels of that language yeah. education. You know, I when I started, I was an educated man who could read and write in a class with a bunch of people who were not educated and couldn't yeah. read and write. So and how this is exactly, yeah, yeah. this is exactly what we're talking about, you know, trying to uh, take this to the parliamentary level, especially with students, you know, they're in a university. Obviously there's plenty of people that know Norwegian at the universities. What is stopping them? Like just to have, you know, a three hours a week course or six hours you know, a week yeah. uh, for the students at the university. Yeah. And everybody's educated at that at that realm. You know, it's right. a little different here at the when you're dealing with refugees in the introductions program. I get it, but you know, like you said, you could have benefited if you had gone to your local or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and been with like minded or like ability right. people. You know. Yeah, it just uh, you know, you can't you can't. I don't want to use the word dumb it down, but that's basically what you're, they're forced to do when you have such a wide disparity. And, you know, Spectrum, you have, yeah, 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 it's, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how is, how is your, how are you experiencing this rough time with isolation and quarantine when it comes to your consulting business? Uh, so far, you know, it's been a great because I've always been digital. You know, I've, uh, uh, I do most yeah. of my meetings on Skype, uh, Zoom, okay. uh, Teams. Uh, I've got a lot of clients that, you know, apart from the time difference, you know, things are still normal. Yeah. Um, with the physical part here, you know, it's it's one thing because we're setting up uh, new uh, warehouses and whatnot. But that that's, you know, that's there. But the bulk of my clientele are uh from all corners of the world and you know luckily i think this period has shown us the importance of uh video meetings and whatnot and it's gonna yeah. really it's really gonna change the ball game i think after this is all 
died down. Yeah. Uh, I think home offices are going to be uh, pretty much the norm. Um, and I, I already see that because uh, there's really no, no need. Uh, everybody, you know. Yeah, I would think, yeah, I would think as a, as, I don't know, as a business owner who has, you know, a bunch of employees that sit in cubicles, whatever that business is, let's say you're some sort of telephone service. Yeah. I would think that for that business owner, you know, they have the cost, they have the overhead cost of the office space, right? Absolutely. Let's say you got 20 employees. You got to find a building to, 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 to warehouse those 20 employees while they're working their nine to five. I wonder how much money I would just, I can just imagine that quite a bit of money can be saved by that business by allowing those people to work for home, work from home. And instead of paying, you know, you know, $5,000 a month to rent this office space, they're paying, you know, a fraction, a fraction of that to give people a, a, a fancy cell phone and a headset and do their telephone work from home. Absolutely. You could just go, go through a corporate partnership with uh, Apple or Samsung. Exactly. Or and then with the with the computers, Dell or something, and then you know you you have a VPN, you know you, yep. you know so yeah. people have to you know they can't just use it for personal you know, uh -huh. whatever. Uh, there's so many things now that have come up um, in the last two three years that wasn't there you know let's yeah. say 15 obviously 15 20 years ago, but uh, now it's just a lot more economical, and I think going forward that this will be the norm, especially in the Western countries. Um, and we're just going to see. So my biggest thing with my business is I've always been uh, opposed to Chinese manufacturing. And that's just my roots, you know, coming from America, uh, yep. union family, whatnot. Uh, and so I've always been telling my clients to look at other options, whether it's Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Singapore, South Korea, Japan. And I'm kind of this, this Corona is a blessing in disguise because we see not apart from all the viruses that have come from outside of the, that have come from China the last 20 years. But you remember with the toys and the lead poisoning and yeah. the different materials, yeah. there's no quality control there. There's no, uh, there's nothing that, that I, that in my career has said, Oh, I can trust Chinese products. Or well, manufacturing. well, here's, here's my take on it. <clears throat> um, this man who is our president now, he ran on this slogan, make America great again. And the basis of that, you know, the foundation of that phrase, make America great again, was the, was, was, was taking the, the, the manufacturing away from China and putting it back in America, right? So and that those was hats, those stupid hats were made in China. Exactly. Well, but, but uh, stay, stay with me now. He he. Yeah. So he, he he campaigns on that. You know, take the jobs away from China, put them mm -hmm. back in America. Now, this virus comes up. We have a crisis, and we need more masks, more gloves. Mm -hmm more uh, personal pr uh, protective equipment. Where is all that stuff made? It's being made in China. Okay, here is an example for that man to shine as president. Yeah. Acknowledge the fact that all of those things are made in China. Acknowledge the fact that you haven't done anything to bring those manufacturing jobs from China to the States, but take this opportunity now when we need, it's a li it's literally a life and death situation. We need this personal protective equipment. We need the mask and the gloves and all that stuff and use 
the presidential power that he has and make companies start making that. I can't remember what it, it's some, some sort of war powers act. I can't remember exactly what that act is called, but yeah, he can, he can demand yeah. that businesses change their production lines to make products that are essential. What? So, of, and, and I, and I don't yeah. approve of anything that that man has done. I'm just going to say that, but I don't want him to fail. I want him to succeed because his success is our nation's success. And so he, on a lighter note, John, he's actually started that. Uh, and I'm by all means, I've got uh, personal ties with him. My, my, uh, my cousin, she worked, uh, my, my, she's like a sister to me. She actually worked for him uh, uh-huh. 10 years ago. She worked for, uh, you know, Donald and, and whatnot. Did she uh, get so paid? Because he's notorious for not paying his employees. Yeah, she got paid, but she had to work for it. You know, we're talking yeah. 80, 100 hours a week. You know, he's uh-huh. a real asshole. And uh-huh. it is what it is. But I do have that, I have that close, what do you call it, three degrees of separation that right. most people don't have. Right. But going back to your point, I will say on a later note that he has embarked on this uh, productive uh, production of PPE and whatnot because one of my former clients, John Deere, shout out to them in Norm. In uh, Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina, they actually stopped producing golf uh, turbine, you know, golf machineries, and they've been producing masks and whatnot. So they have started that. Um, so you know, these companies like you know GM or John Deere, that whatever few plants are left in America, they are actually producing um, uh, equipment that is needed during this time of. Uh, but isn't it rather? Isn't it rather superficial? Is isn't it? Aren't the, aren't these companies doing the little that they're doing of their own volition? His yeah, what, whatever you call that act mm-hmm. is that allows him to, to force a company to. He hasn't invoked that yet, and the result of that is that very few companies are changing their production lines. Now, um, I know Governor Cuomo from New York was talking about those uh, cotton swabs that they need. Mm-hmm. You know, they can talk the 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 the, the White House can talk all they want about um, testing, <clears throat> and that uh, the testing procedures are so well in place and it's going so fine. But the fact is, is if a, if a hospital has a test kit, but they don't have a specific type of swab in order to transfer the saliva or the blood or whatever they're testing and put it into the test kit, then the test kit is useless. And that's yeah. the reality on the ground. But the thing it is, seems like he's talking it, a lot. He's talking a lot of shit and and not enough action <laughs> and not enough. Ac- yeah, we said we weren't going to cuss, and here I go. <laughs> no, but that, that, but but John, that's that's every politician. That's every president in America after you know FDR. They've been nothing but. Uh, or but not, I'm sorry, not FDR. I'm sorry. I'm, I meant uh, after like Truman. Yeah, uh, they, they're all just blowing smoke up our our, our behinds. Of course, that's what this. politicians do. But this is uh, a different. This, this is a though. different situation, though. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say this, though. If we really want to talk about, yeah, you know, Trump's a hypocrite. We all know that every president's been a hypocrite on one way or another. But if we really want to put the blame on someone, I hate to say it for those um, that are progressive or diehard liberals, but it is Clinton's fault because, you know, not only with NAFTA, he also declared China most favored nation trade status during his tenure. And it absolutely opened the floodgates. And during his time, between 98 and you know 2001 you saw so many unions just crumble you yeah, saw so they many fell jobs apart. leave and people don't know that and i'm like y'all worshiping and praising this man because of his personality and whatnot and he's really not that great you know and <laughs> you know i'm so sick and tired of him his wife and the bush family and this and i'm like and that's why trump won they don't want another clinton or another 
you know, cops are going to come in here and whatnot. I get that. I I get what. Yeah, I get that that people wanted to see a change. I wanted to see a change too. I, I'm I'm tired of the the the, the typical Washington BS. You know all the lies and they misrepresent themselves just so they can get elected. Everybody, you know, everybody's tired of that. But good God, Donald yeah, Trump, I mean, Donald yeah. Trump. I mean, what? really? <laughs> he, got, he got the he he got the golden ticket through the, the failed. Availability, uh, the failure and, and the availability of choices. But, you know, going back to Clinton, I mean, every time he was over there, you know, he was very, very open with uh, the Chinese government. And this is a country, was, yeah. mind you, this is a country, mind you, that shot its own students. So me being a student right now, imagine I could have been shot. Think about it. You yeah. know, like yeah. in Tiananmen Square in 89, which was coincidentally the year I was born. And I just don't understand why are we in bed with this country that does not value rights, People, yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see a president, and Trump is not that president. I would like to see a president who stands up to China and forces some change. Not someone who talks about it and puts a slogan on a hat, but someone who actually implements some sort of concrete policy where we can see that there is a change. You know, um, again, here is a golden opportunity. You talk about a golden ticket. Here's a golden mm-hmm. ticket for our current president to do something about the manufacturing. He's not doing anything about the manufacturing. There are individual companies, as you, as you know, as you yeah, mentioned, who are yeah. doing some changes and pr- starting to produce the things that, you know, people are sitting in their homes making, mm-hmm. you know, gowns and masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I whatnot. thought that was great. You know, Absolutely. they're making their own stuff on Etsy. Absolutely. Whatever. But I would think that this is the time for America to have an epiphany like we did during World War II, where everybody, you know, people were, you know. Guns and butter, guns and butter. Yeah, you know, guns, butter, and bullets. That's right. Here's an opportunity. Here is a golden ticket, and he's not taking it. And I gotta, I, I have to wonder why. I have my own thoughts about why, but I have to and wonder going, why. And going, back to your, going back to your point, John, about finding a leader that will stand up to China, it's not going to happen. There have been, and, and you know what, every other leader, especially in Africa and Pakistan, which I do know quite about, they're succumbing to the grip and the wrath of Chinese diplomacy. What's because that China, all about? You know, yeah, there's China, um, and this is something for you to kind of research on your own, but there's something called the Technolo- Technology Corridor that uh, is a big yeah. multi-billion dollar project established by the Chinese government. Yeah. Uh, to send goods uh, from China to a port of called Gwadar, the, the Gwadar port in Pakistan, which would cut logistics times, will cut shipping times and cargo freight shipping times literally in half from, you know, but this, again, this is pre-COVID, so now everything, who knows what yeah. will happen if people will trust Chinese uh, manufacturing. But I've read the initial up. plan was to... Uh, their initial plan was to, to create this technology corridor yeah. that, and, and they've already set up their language schools in Pakistan. You know, they, they own a lot of debt. Like they go to Africa, yeah. they're in Kenya, they're in Uganda, they're all over the, the poor African nations and they're yeah. setting up, they're building the roads and they're, they're yeah. coming at you like, oh, we're going to develop your countries because you guys couldn't develop them yourselves. And, and but you know we're gonna we'll 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 cover all this stuff. But twenty thirty years from now, we're possibly gonna own you guys. See, they're thinking the long game. See, I, China is very smart, but they're oh, not. God, but they're yeah. not. But they're not smarter than us. We're just lazy. Exactly. We're, we're, arrogant. We are, we're no, arrogant. Not, not, we're, we're arrogant. We're arrogant and lazy. And complacent. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. 
not only if you're talking about Norwegians, obviously, but also, of course, Americans. And that's what I don't understand. These these Western nations need to wake up. Yeah, I was when I say we, I was talking about Americans. Yeah, we. I'm, I'm saying all over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My thing is, there's no reason why China should have the position of dominance over America. Yeah. We we have the technological minds. We mm. have the apparatus in place of course it's a little broken it's a little unstable we can fix that apparatus and get back to our production capabilities and our innovation capabilities that we had from world war ii and going forward until you know whenever all that stuff started disappearing it's um yeah it's a mindset thing you know it and, is. And, and 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 people uh, you know for your American listeners, and I try to tell Norwegians this as well, you know, you got to figure out, you guys got to take a step back and realize how was America founded? It was it was founded by committing every crime known to man. You know, we're talking, yeah. you know, pillaging, uh, larceny, you know, theft, murder, uh, you name it. Uh, backdoor deals that obviously screwed one individual or party compared to those that, you know, and that's the premise of America. And I tell people this, you know, America is not that great. They just, you know, there've been a few minds, there've been great things that have come from America. But if you look at the history of America, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's not good. It's a relatively <laughs> it's, new country. Yeah. And there's still issues with equality and, and, and wages, gender equality and whatnot. I mean, America still doesn't, has not had a female of the state you know even pakistan and bangladesh countries that are are laughed at in india that are laughed at for being whatever uh, having problems backwards and, you know, and undeveloped and we've and had whatnot, we've had know. female heads of state yeah. we've had female uh, heads of the nations who have been strong you know intelligent women and yeah where, where does you know america have america just got their first black president after what 200 years yeah so, i mean it's it's a real shame and, it, and people don't they're so blinded by um all of this, this facade, there's a facade, you know, and sure. they just don't get it, you know. And I'm just trying yeah. to, you know, to point it out. People, people can't tell me that in uh, America's 200 year plus history, there's only been one black man who was qualified to be president. Mm. Or there was only one woman, you know, Hillary Clinton, mm. who was qualified to almost become president. They can't tell me that that's the first and only time that that has ever been the situation so what is it that has kept those things from happening in the past you know just go through america's history and there's the answer uh, i love my country i love america i'm very uh what i consider to be patriotic but in that patriotism uh, is my right to criticize and question uh, Absolutely. because there's, within there's, within that criticism and within those question those questions is a desire to have a better country yeah. No, so, you're you're a rational human being. You see the realism. You're not just right. You know, blindly believing what you know. And America, unfortunately, like George Carlin said, has been sold out. It has been sold to the, the corporations, and it's not capitalism anymore. It is corporatism. Yep. And you know, capitalism is okay. It's healthy. It has to be regulated. Sure. And then that's where the the big the big dialogues and the debates come with the with the economics and whatnot and the. And, and whatnot, but um, you know, I think you're never going to have that balance and Norway can afford to have that, which is why I respect this country. I respect the government. I respect the people, the system. Uh, it's I, very open. It's a very open and honest, very, very, there's no, uh, it's completely transparent and you can only yes. have that. You can have that only in certain societies. America would never work. There's just too many people, too many 
things going on too much, too many well, problems. There's a trust here in Norway. There is a trust of the government that doesn't exist in America, and that trust is in place here because the government hasn't screwed people over. Exactly, and and the, the government can't be bought by corporations. Exactly, like in America, America's the only country in the world other than maybe India that you know the corporations rule. Yeah. what's going on and and going back to what you're saying um you know america's history and all like for example 200 years you can only find one black individual to run this country and when blacks you know basically built this country and and i just read an article yesterday and i didn't know this there's not one hispanic think about this john you like sports there's not one hispanic that owns any part of any professional sport team and now they're raising heads because there's yeah. a rumor that the j-lo and a-rod are thinking about acquiring a uh, part of the New York Mets. Oh, really? And I just was like, I was just like blown away. Yeah, TMZ reported it. And um, and then also like uh, Peter King was kind of thinking about talking about it on, on Fox Sports. And uh, it's really a shame. And it's, and I, I went and looked at it. And uh -huh. of course, we're all, we're all still mourning the, the tragic death of Kobe. And, but if right. you look at it, how many blacks, how many black athletes that make up like over 70% of the big two sports? I tell you there's what, M there's only MJ, Shaq, Magic, and I think maybe one other. <laughs> what I was waiting for, and I just wish they would have had the guts to do it. I know with all of the controversy around Colin Kaepernick and his protest, mm -hmm. I know there were more NFL players, black and white, who supported what he was doing. And I just know that if a certain number of the black players would have supported him and, and I don't know, backed out, refused to play or something, the NFL would have fallen apart or yeah. they would have changed their stance on that whole protest issue. Mm -hmm. um, and having that, and, with, and seeing that kind of influence and power and control by the black players, in the end, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, yeah, you got to question at least raise an eyebrow to the fact that there are so few owners in those two sports. And then looking at baseball, as many Hispanics as there are playing baseball, yeah. professional baseball, where are the owners? Where are they the in power, the corporate structure? The power stays within and it's passed generationally. And I'm so sick and tired of that. And that's been America, you know, whether it's, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't know. Uh, I just don't know how to beat around the bush, but you know, every commissioner is from a certain lineage. Every owner is usually from a certain group, you know, and right, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know if I'm at Liberty to call say them it, out, say it. Uh, but you know, it's all wasps and Jews, you know, it's just how it is, man. I mean, uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from the four, you know, um, see my, my and, thing is, is I don't, and, and um, this isn't all about, this isn't about wanting any kind of a handout. Uh, no, James, no. James Brown uh, famously said, uh, I don't want you to give me anything. Just let me walk through the door and get it myself. Exactly. In other exactly. words, level the yeah. playing field, give exactly. equal opportunity. Yeah. Give equal opportunity. It's a shame, and that's uh, something that is uh, non-existent in America, which I think West Europe to an extent has, which is why I came over here. My family is in Germany, you know, and, you just don't have that level playing field. You have that class hierarchy. Yeah. Um, so I kind of joke with people, you know, Britain, you know, they, they, they really wanted to do that here, but they did it in America. So they yeah. got, they ultimately got what they wanted. Yeah. And then yeah. it was a match made in heaven when they, you know, conquered India and all uh -huh. that. Cause it all, it all stemmed from their casteism and classism yeah. Yeah. and all that nonsense. That's where it started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
we uh, go on and on, man. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I, I kind of make a living out of making fun of Norway. They're a big, it's a big part of my stand-up uh, comedy act, making fun of Norway and stuff. But, yeah. I, you know, I do that in fun. Uh, this is a great country. I think America could learn a few things from Norway. I'm not saying Norway is better. Uh, for me, there's no place like home. I would, I, I'm constantly homesick. I miss my country. Mm-hmm. I miss my hometown. Yeah, I get but, that, yeah. but but uh, but uh, I think Norway is doing a few things right that America could learn from. We hope. I think so. Head, if, if we if, if the politicians get their head out of their asses and, and actually give two cents, they give a dang about the the, the actual people. I well, mean, that's the issue. That's the disconnect. Things like unions, you know. Uh, <sighs> I don't know. Some of these same people that I hear screaming negativity about so-called socialism, those are the same people that have a job where they would benefit greatly by ha- by being unionized. They would. Ha- I I love the the worker protections that are in place by law here in Norway, and I think it would be revolutionary. It would change people's lives literally if they could have a job in the states with the same workers' rights that we have in in Norway. Uh, there's so much unnecessary suffering. Uh, that, 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 the biggest question about this whole thing, and it's going to change, but you know, the biggest, most important question we must ask, which is why Europe has always been at the forefront. It's always evolved a lot more than other nations, uh, even America. What is required for a functional society? Jobs, some sort of, you know, established uh, parameters about you know security and, and having a good uh, working environment and, and being mm-hmm. able to because if you don't have taxes you can't pay for anything right and you know you need jobs to do this so it's a whole it's part of an ecosystem right and america used to have this but now i don't know why they just everybody sold out the upper management everybody sold did, yeah. out and, yeah. and it's it's a, it's a train wreck it's wildly out of control and and it's going to get worse. Uh, I, I forecast these things for my clients and I'm telling people, you know, get ready to uh, uh, pick up a new skill or something, you know, yeah. learn three, four different things, learn new languages. I'm always telling people to learn something new because you're not going to be able to go uh, work, punch the clock for 30 years. I mean, that was well, that was the case five years yeah. ago. Well, I tell you, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how we come out of this. I tell you, I was looking at the news today and those long lines, there's people waiting in line for six hours. They're sleeping in their cars overnight to get in line for six hours to get food handed out to them. That's, that breaks my heart. Now, I don't have, luckily, so far, everyone in my family back in the States is doing fine. Yeah, uh, they're blessed so far. But, yeah. but to see those, I don't know, there's, there's, just, there's something wrong with that. There's some. Yeah. There's just something wrong with that, and and I, I, I sit here in Norway, safe and secure, with tons of comfort, a lot of social programs that are in place to keep me and my family and my friends, uh, living a decent life, even though the, this 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 isolation is going on because of the virus, and then I see the total opposite happening in the states, and it just there's there's something wrong with that. There's something yeah. wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame, like you said, it's a shame, man. Yeah. Well, time is out. <laughs> yeah. You are a busy working man. I am a 
well, I'm going to try and be lazy for the rest of the day. I tell you, I've been, <laughs> I've been putting the hours in the last couple of three days, but today I'm going to try and find a good position on the couch and stay there. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Man. <laughs> I'm going to probably, I'm going to go try fish, man. If the weather stays this way, I'm going to go try fish up here. So. Oh man, it's been beautiful for, uh, it's been beautiful this last week. Just beautiful yeah. weather. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm going to not enjoy any of that today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate you having me, John. Uh, it's been great uh, talking about a wide gamut of issues. I look forward to uh, enlightening, you know, more people and, and me learning a few things as well. Well, in the future. Aaron, you have an open invitation here. Um, we will be talking again on this podcast. I want to wish you a lot of luck with everything you're doing with the uh, International Student Union. I hope you climb up the ranks there and oh, yeah, uh, exert it. exert a little bit of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, stay positive and hang in there and keep doing what you're doing with your business as well, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. And I hope you have uh, uh, more guests and, and really open the spectrum for this uh, going forward. And, and I Thanks, think podcasts man. are very important to share knowledge and, and to connect people. Uh, from both ends thanks man you know i've had uh i've had a a wide range of guests so far and i'm actually booked i'm booked up for the next couple of weeks so this is uh you know things are going well uh i'm excited going forward and uh, as i say you've got an open invitation so this this is not the last time you'll be a guest i will definitely ask you again and i hope you come on again I hope the listeners want me on again. So, yeah. I'm sure they will. This was a this yeah. is a we we talked we touched on a couple uh, different topics here, but uh, we touched on them in a way that I think is going to open some thought uh, in 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 people's heads. That's what just I want. Just a dialogue, you know. We just need a dialogue. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just uh, yeah. Yeah. I right. appreciate it again, John. Yep. My pleasure. You have a great day, Aaron. Thanks a lot, you man. As well. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That's Aaron Siva. He's. Uh, cerebral kind of guy and that's the kind of guy we want to talk to thanks a lot for uh, listening to this episode of the coming home podcast with john allen thanks a lot everybody be blessed be kind bye everybody i'm coming home i'm coming home I'm, yes i am yes i'm coming home I'm coming home, yes I am, my Lord, oh my Lord, Lord I'm coming home.